Well, good morning, friends. Uh, uh, it is a joy to welcome you, uh, those who are here at our 930 Cornerstone service. Welcome those uh, who are worshiping online, as well as those who are uh, upstairs in the cafe today. If we have not met, my name is David. Uh, I have an official title and an unofficial title. You see the official one on the screen. I shared with you last week that a sixth grader in our church uh, gave me an unofficial title. Uh, the Talker was... Uh, was was her name for me. And uh, Monday morning, sitting on my desk was this, a new name tag that says the talker on it. And I'm wearing it today. So this is my new literal job description. I am the talker. That's what I do around here. So, uh, excuse me, I'm going to try to talk. Uh, Happy to be able to share uh, with you. We've been in this series focused on this uh, singular question, where is God? A question that we believe all people find themselves asking in life, and we've been looking at some of the simple convictions but deep truths of the Christian faith that we believe by faith are responses to this question, where, where is God? Uh, In the first week, we talked about that God is here, that we believe that we live in God's world. We are not alone. We reject the notion that God uh, is absent from our world, that God created it and then left it to us. We believe that God is active uh, in the world in which we live and God is working for our good. We believe that God is here. And then last week, we talked about the idea that God is not only here, but God is there. And we define there as the the place where hopelessness crashes into helplessness. Uh, The visual that we shared of that uh, was this, uh, that that the cross is the place where humanity's hopelessness and helplessness uh, intersect with one another. The cross has always been the, the symbol of the Christian faith. Uh, We we talked about the idea that Jesus came here so that he could go there and, and that Jesus going there represents God's promise over our life that whenever we find ourselves there, that God will be there too. God will be there too. God is here. God is there. Uh, and each week of this series, I said we're, gonna, we're really grounding ourselves in one passage of Scripture, Luke 24, uh, the encounter that happens between two travelers who are leaving Jerusalem, heading to Emmaus, uh, and, and this encounter they have with a, a stranger, someone they don't recognize, but Luke tells us is Jesus. Now, part of what's significant about this part of, of Luke's gospel is this, this is after the resurrection. Uh, the tomb has been found empty, but no one has yet seen Jesus. So everyone, the disciples, the, the other followers who are with them, everyone's asking the question, where is Jesus? And then Luke, in his way of telling the story, he takes us immediately to, this, uh, to, to the encounter among these, uh, these three individuals. Again, one who is Jesus, but the other travelers do not recognize him. They, they make the entire seven-mile journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus without knowing who is traveling with them. And it's only in the evening when they share a meal together, Jesus breaks the bread And in response to this act of Jesus breaking the bread and giving it to them, verse 31 says, their eyes were opened, they recognized Jesus, and then Jesus disappeared. And last week I said, if you want to know why he disappears, you're just going to have to come back next week, Uh, because we're not going to get to that, Uh, we weren't going to get to that last week. So if you haven't been able to sleep over the last seven days, because you're just thinking, oh, I want to know what the answer is, why does Jesus disappear? Here's my answer, I don't know. 
I, I don't know. We, we might note what happens next. Remember that after Jesus disappears, these two individuals, they, what they say to one another is, weren't our hearts burning within us as we walked with him on the road? And then they make the decision to get up and, and, and travel the entire journey back, the seven miles back to Jerusalem, to tell the disciples, remember, no one else has seen Jesus. They go back to say, it's true, we've seen him. We've seen the, the resurrected Jesus. Uh, we didn't get this far, but in verse 36, right after they share this news, it says this, while they were still talking, these travelers and the disciples uh, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. So the resurrected Jesus not only disappears, but he reappears in, in, a, in a different place. And if all we had was Luke's gospel, well, we would just sort of be left with a mystery. What, what exactly does, does this, this mean? But luckily, we have four accounts of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We also have the writings of the leaders of the early church. And so, uh, grounding ourselves in what is happening here in Luke 24, we're actually going to look at uh, John chapter 14. So, if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to John chapter 14. If you don't have your Bible with you, uh, you can find that on page 1676 in the blue Bibles that we have here for you. And if you don't have a Bible, stop by one of the connecting points. We'd love to give you one uh, as a gift. Uh, so we're going to look at three passages uh, from the Gospel of John. The first two are passages uh, that take place prior to the crucifixion of Jesus. And then the third one is one that happens after his resurrection. And then we're also going to look at uh, just one verse of Scripture uh, from Paul's, uh, uh, from Colossians, the, the letter that Paul writes uh, to that church. Uh, but let me just say a couple things up front. What we're looking at today is the most mysterious and misunderstood aspect of the Christian faith. And it is also the power and the strength of the Christian life. If you put those two things together, the most misunderstood aspect of the Christian faith, but also the power and strength of the Christian life, what that means is, you could think about it this way, most Christians operate at 1% capacity. Because they don't understand this aspect uh, of the, the Christian faith and therefore miss out on the power and the strength of the Christian life. So just keep that in mind. The second thing is, and this is an obvious statement, we all, we all know this, but it's worth, it's worth noting here that, that Jesus returns, right? Like we see that at the end of the story. Jesus returns, but he doesn't return to stay. And this actually comes as a surprise to the disciples, they didn't, expect, they didn't expect Jesus to return, but then they also didn't expect that he would leave again. They thought, he's back, here we go, let's, let's, let's keep following him. But Jesus, Jesus goes back, he ascends back to the Father at the end of each of the Gospels, and, and it's also recorded at the beginning of the book of Acts. And, and again, this is a surprise. And so, so we might ask this question, well, why does he come back? Like, is this, just, is this just God's way of showing off? You know, look what I can do. Or does Jesus come back? Does he return with a very specific purpose in mind? So John chapter 14, I'm going to begin reading to you at verse 25. These are the words of Jesus. He says this, all this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. 
So the context of these words is the last supper that Jesus shares with his disciples. He is preparing them for what is going to come next. And remember that Jesus on multiple occasions predicted his own death. He not only predicted his own death, he predicted exactly how it was going to occur. So he's preparing them for, about, for what's going to come next, for his leaving them. And, and in chapter 14, Jesus makes some really audacious promises. If we were to go back to verse 12, this is what Jesus says to the disciples. When I leave, you will do the very things that you have seen me doing. And in fact, you will do even greater things than these. It's as if Jesus is saying, me, when I leave, it's actually going to be a good thing for you. You're, you're going to do more than, 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 than you've even seen me do, which for the disciples must have sounded absolutely insane. What are you talking about? But why does Jesus believe that? Well, it's because of what he says in verse 26. Because the advocate, the Holy Spirit, the Father will send the Holy Spirit in my name. The Holy Spirit will remind you uh, and teach you all the things that I have said to you. Now, jump to chapter 15. Uh, Jesus here is describing the, this, this new relationship the disciples will have uh, with Jesus. And here's how he says it. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So in chapter 14, Jesus uh, has made this, this really the crazy promise that you're going to do even greater things than you have seen me do because the Holy Spirit is going to come. And the Holy Spirit, Jesus says here, the Holy Spirit is going to enable me to remain in you and you to remain in me, which is a really good thing because Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing, nothing. Apart from me, apart uh, from, from me in you and you in me, uh, which, which is what the Holy Spirit will, will, will enable you to do, apart from that, you can do nothing. So then jump over with me now to John chapter 20. Those two readings were from before the crucifixion. This is after the resurrection of Jesus, uh, a scene that is very similar uh, to uh, what we read in, in Luke's gospel, the 24th chapter. Uh, Luke, I'm sorry, John 20 verse 19 says this, on the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked, for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. So Jesus can not only disappear, he can reappear, and here the disciples are in a locked room, and all of a sudden Jesus shows up, saying, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, the, the physical signs of his death. The disciples were overjoyed, we can imagine that would be true, when, he, when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, now I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So again, they're locked up in this room. Uh, they're trying to protect themselves. They, they don't know what exactly is happening. Jesus appears. 
And then there's this awkward moment where Jesus just kind of goes down the road, we can imagine. Why does Jesus breathe on them? If you go back to the first, uh, first chapters of the Bible, uh, God speaks, God breathes, and life is formed. Creation is animated by the breath of God. The, the, the breath of God is what gives life. And so in breathing on them and in, 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 uh, inviting them to receive the Holy Spirit, Jesus is giving them new life. He is fulfilling the promise that he had shared prior to his death. The Father is going to send an advocate, a Holy Spirit, who's going to teach you and remind you, enable you to do the things that you've seen me doing and even greater things than these. And so now receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus returned but not to stay. What did he come back to do? To give to the disciples to breathe into them this gift of life. Receive, he says, the Holy Spirit. So what do we see here? We see God the Father sending God the Holy Spirit through the breath of God the Son. This is what we call the Trinity, okay? We think of God as one God that exists in what is often described, we often use the language of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You've heard us uh, use that language before. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God. Now, is that confusing? The answer is yes, that is confusing. It is mysterious. It is Hard for us to wrap our minds around that because we are seeking with human language to give, uh, to, to describe and understand things that are beyond human capacity. We're talking, about, we're talking about God and God's character and God is bigger than us. God is beyond us. The scripture says that God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So this is part of the mystery of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But we see this, we, we see this, this language, this, this picture of God all throughout the scriptures. You go back to the first three verses of the Bible. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. You, you probably know that part. Uh, how, how does God animate creation? He speaks. Uh, John's gospel refers to Jesus as the word. Uh, and, and in verse 3, what does it say? It says, the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters, over this world that God is about, about to form. We see it all the way through the Scriptures, but here something is happening. Jesus is now breathing into his disciples the gift of this Holy Spirit that he has said is going to enable them to do what they could not do without this gift. It will enable them to remain in him as he uh, remains in each of them. So we believe God is here, we believe God is there, and we believe that God is within, that God is within. Here's one way of thinking about this, that when we give our lives to Jesus, Jesus gives himself back to us. And the way Jesus does that is he does that through the Holy Spirit, which takes up residence within our life. So so 
throw Star Wars out of your mind, okay? This isn't some weird force that is going through all living. That's not, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a spirit that takes up residence within our lives. And according to the Gospel of John, this Holy Spirit moves in, continuing to teach us and guide us, allowing us to remain in Jesus as Jesus remains in each of us. It is the Holy Spirit that begins and sustains the work of God in our lives, through our lives, all the days of our life. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, is that mysterious? Is it confusing? Is it hard to understand? Absolutely. But it is the promise that Jesus offers here. And we find it throughout the New Testament that the power and strength of the Christian life is the spirit which dwells within us Enabling us to remain in Jesus, for Jesus to remain in us, and for us to do things that we could not do without him. Here's how Paul says it in Colossians 1. I don't often use this translation, but I think it says it most clearly. Paul says, the secret is simply this, Christ in you. All this stuff, if you want to understand what God is doing in the world, what God is doing in you, it's, you, you can boil it down to this. Christ in you. Yes, Christ in you, bringing with him the hope of all the glorious things to come. It is mysterious. At the end of this message, it will not be totally clear, okay? You you won't leave thinking, well, now I understand everything. But don't miss this, that when we ask the question, where is God? Or someone asks that of us, Someone else is asking that question because of something that's going on in their life. Sometimes the answer is God is here. The, the, the truth that, that needs to be spoken into our life or into the life of another is just that reminder, God is here. God has not abandoned you. We live in God's world. God is here. and God is working for our good. Sometimes the answer is God is there. I want you to know that in that moment that you're going through where you've lost hope, you're looking for help, you don't know where it's going to come from, I want you to know that God is there with you. I may not fully understand what you're going through, but Jesus knows what rock bottom feels like, and he is there with you. But sometimes the answer is God is within. When we find ourselves in, in, paralyzed, Uh, in in a place where where we feel like we're unable to move forward, where we in ourselves lack the capacity to to, to engage the life, uh, what life is throwing at us, sometimes the answer is the reminder that God is within. And the very power that raised Christ from the dead, this 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 is from 1 John, it says the very power that raised Christ from the dead That same power now lives in you. This is the very power and strength of the Christian life. This is why in in Paul's letters he refers to the Christians uh, who are receiving that letter. He calls them temples. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Well, temples are, are the place where God dwells. That God is now dwelling within you. When you give your life to Jesus, Jesus gives himself back to you in the presence and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you've got Jiminy Cricket in your mind, you know, your conscience, you know, just throw that out. That's not what we're talking about. It's not your gut, okay? 
It's not, well, I think this is, is the right idea. Your capacity and my capacity for self-deception is enormous. The Spirit is not you, but the Spirit is, according to the promises of Jesus, the Spirit is within you. And when the Spirit is within you, when you cultivate an awareness of the Spirit at work in you, the promise of Jesus is the fruit, man, this fruit is more than you can ever imagine. But at the same time, apart from me, Jesus says, you can't do anything. You're operating at 1% capacity. All you're left with is, I'm just going to try really, really, really hard. But that's not what the Christian life is about. That's not the power and strength of the Christian life. It is the one who dwells within you. Now, this week you actually saw a vivid image of, uh, of that. Um, you either read about this or you saw the video. This, this was the very definition of viral from, uh, from what I could tell. I'm just going to show you one picture of uh, this moment that, again, I'm assuming everyone in this room knows what this moment is. If you don't, if you're the one of two people who don't know what this is, then you can just turn to your neighbor and they'll, uh, and, and they'll, they'll tell you. When, whenever we see something like this, I think there's two things that, that, that happen for all of us. Uh, well, the first thing is we struggle to put this moment into words. We don't, we don't really know how to articulate what exactly we see happening. It's such a powerful, overwhelming moment that we just don't know how to articulate it. It's indescribable. It's beyond, uh, again, the capacity of our language. But I think the other thing that we all do, we all think the exact same thing. We may not say it out loud, but we all think, I could never do that. Right? I mean, isn't that what you think when you see such an incredible act of mercy and grace. I mean, beyond anything that you've ever even thought about, don't we all think, I could never do that? I could never do that. And if you miss everything else, okay, if all I've done is confuse you for, for the entirety of this message, just don't miss this. If you see something like this and you say, I could never do that, Here's what I want you to, to hear. You're right. You could never do this. And neither could I. It is far beyond our capacity. You're right. You could never do this. This is an expression of God's grace and God's love. But more precisely, this is a picture of God within the human heart, someone who is remaining in Jesus as Jesus is remaining in him, someone who has an awareness of the power of the Spirit that is at work and in response to this power at work in this life an act of mercy and grace is shared that none of us have the capacity to do.
This is the power and the strength of the Christian life. You're right, you could never do this. But by the power that lives within you, this is the promise that Jesus offers. This is the promise we find throughout the entire New Testament. By the power that lives within you, there's a capacity to your life that is beyond your imagination. You can't even understand how much fruit the Spirit can produce in you as you grow in your awareness of what is actually now inside of you. Because when you give your life to Jesus, Jesus gives himself back to you. Now, I'd love to take another hour and just have some people come up and talk about how they have experienced and, and, and how they've come to understand the, the Holy Spirit and this, this power in their life. We're not going to do that, by the way, so don't get nervous. You know, I know you probably have, have plans here in a little bit, but, but th- th- that would probably be a little bit helpful. Um, but, but let me just say this. The way in which you grow in this understanding, this mystery, it, it really isn't by learning about it. It isn't about knowledge. Uh, I, I can give you the bare bones. I can, I can establish perhaps, uh, the scriptures can establish for us a framework of understanding. But this isn't something that you need to know more about. This is something you need to experience in your life. And as you experience the Holy Spirit in your life, you will become more aware of the Holy Spirit's power and presence in your life. As you experience the Holy Spirit in your life, you become more aware of the power and presence of your life. It will be easier for you to, be, to, to say by faith, well, God is here, I see him right there. To be aware of God uh, uh, around you at work in the lives of others because the Spirit gives you eyes to see that. Well, how do you cultivate an awareness of the Spirit? How, how do you experience this power. This is, this is so simple. You begin to live your life as if this promise is true. That's what you do. You trust Jesus, that the promise that Jesus offers is in fact true. And because you believe in that truth, you start doing things that you otherwise would not do. That's what everyone would say if if I invited them up here to talk about the Spirit at work in their life. They would all express to you in some way or another a risk they decided to take that they never would have taken before. And they took it trusting that the power of the Spirit would show up and enable them to do what they knew they could not do. They were brave and they took a step. They took a step and they forgave someone they didn't think they could. They said, I'm sorry. They humbled themselves and they said, please forgive me. They began to live out a life of generosity that they never thought was possible. And even in that moment, they thought, this is ridiculous, this is crazy. But they stepped into an act of faith and in doing so, They experienced the power of the Holy Spirit at work in their life. They shared their faith with someone in a way that they hadn't before. Took a risk. They trusted, hey, Spirit, give me words. I don't know how to do this. 
but they experience that power in their life. That instead of saying, I will pray for you when that person shares a concern or, or I am thinking of you, that they took a risk and said, can I pray for you right now? Thinking, well, I don't even know what to say. I don't even know how to pray, but the power of the Spirit, the power that raised Christ from the dead lives within me, so somehow I'll figure this out, I guess. They took steps of faith, trusting that this promise of Jesus was true. That as you gave your life to Jesus, Jesus gave his life to you. One of my heroes of, of the faith, Maxie Dunham, a former president of Asbury Seminary. He was pastor at Christ uh, Methodist Church in Memphis for many, many years. Uh, this, this is Maxie's um, advice. Uh, this is what he does every day. He looks himself in the mirror and he says this, Maxie, the secret is simply this, Christ in you. The secret is simply this, Christ in you, bringing with him the hope of all the glorious things to come. Maxie, today, don't forget that Christ is in you. God is here. God is there. God is also within. If you've given your life to Jesus, Jesus has given his life to you. So as we close in prayer, I want to invite you to do something. Um, I want to invite you just to take your hand and place it over your heart. Um, and as you bow your head and, and close your eyes, I, I just want you to, to think about this, this incredible promise of Jesus that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is God's gift to you. It's the presence and power of God at work living in you. Now, if you've never given your life to Jesus, it really is as simple as saying, Jesus, I want to give my life to you, and I pray that you would give your life to me. Jesus, would you send the Holy Spirit into my life? If you've already done that, then perhaps the prayer today would be, Spirit, I want to become more aware of the power that is at work in me. I don't understand everything about it. This is a mystery that is bigger than my small human mind. But I am trusting the promise of faith. And help me to live a life based on that promise. Spirit, speak. Speak clearly into our lives. Remind us of this awesome power. And give us the courage to live a life that is built on that promise. This is our prayer today. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.